Thank you so much, Stian. Um, like Stian mentioned, this is uh, this year marks the 50th anniversary of the Norwegian Council for Africa, and that makes um, today's seminar particularly special because we will be looking at um, the Angola of today, but also uh, the historic, uh, a very important historic event that took place uh, on the 27th of May, 40 years ago. Uh, both what occurred on that date and uh, in the months that, was that came after, but also uh, on how, uh, on the significance of that date, um, in the significance of that date in understanding the Angola of today, but also the Norwegian Africa Solidarity Movement throughout the decades, uh, which includes the Norwegian Council for Africa, um, now turning 50 years. And I'd like to just sort of in the beginning here show you um, a picture from our, our history book. Um, I'll pass it around in the audience. Um, so this is from our history book. It's a uh, it's a picture from uh, one of the flyers of the early work of the Norwegian Council for Africa. Uh, so in '67 we were uh, founded as the Norwegian Council for for Southern Africa uh, for the liberation of the Portuguese colonies in Africa uh, and for the fight against apartheid. Uh, rule in Southern Africa. Um, and in the early years, uh, up until 70, 74, 75, uh, the struggle for liberation of, uh, of the Portuguese colonies were really our main topic. So what you, what you see in the, in the picture in the book uh, is a flyer where we mobilize uh, people to send money to the MPLA to the political party that we will be talking a lot about today, uh, the Marxist-Leninist Liberation Movement uh, in Angola. Um, as you can also see, this the flyer employs some pretty graphic uh, and some pretty strong uh, sort of tools to, to mobilize for the MPLA and for the liberation movement. Now, just sort of before we, we, we get to our guests here, I'll, I'll just sort of give you a very, very brief uh, context for what happened uh, 40 years ago um, uh, before leaving the, the, the floor to our main uh, main speaker here. Um, so the Portuguese colonies uh, were under were, were squeezed by the by the Salazar regime in in, in Portugal um, that ended uh, in 74 in 1974. Uh, and the liberation of of, uh, of Angola came about, perhaps, principal, uh, as a, at at the end of a of a quite long um, uh, liberation war. Uh, but that was not really won by a particular liberation liberation movement, of which there were there were several. Uh, it was more a fact, a more a result of of the end of the Salazar uh, regime. So. Um, with the liberation of Angola, uh, 
a civil war broke out between the, the various liberation movements in Angola. So I've mentioned the MPLA, uh, the Marxist-Leninist uh, Communist Movement, um, but there were also other parties. Uh, so the civ a civil war broke out, and UNITA uh, is perhaps the, the, the main uh, opposition party uh, or li opposition liberation movement. Uh, and between the MPLA and the UNITA, a uh, civil war uh, continued right up until 2002. However, the 27th of May of 77 was not, uh, although there was an ongoing civil war between uh, these liberation movements, which is yet the Mayo, the 27th of May, uh, was a result of an internal struggle within the MPLA, the Marxist-Leninist party. Um, what you would also need to sort of uh, know and understand uh, is that uh, the struggle in Angola, uh, the civil war, had uh, different warring parties with different kinds of support, uh, foreign support. So the MPLA had the su uh, military support from the Cuban regime, from Fidel Castro. Uh, so there were quite a few uh, Cuban troops on the ground in Angola uh, taking part in the civil war. Uh, and on the other side, of on the side of, of UNITA, uh, there were actual uh, support from the apartheid uh, South African uh, government that had strategic strategic interest in uh, uh, in Angola, uh, and also, of course, this this war was a part of a Cold War context uh, between the communist and the U.S. supported uh, Western um, powers that that were. I think I'll just. There will be more context given uh, throughout this, but I'll, I'll this is just sort of the the the, the, the sketch uh, up until the time in question and the date in question, which is the seventy uh, in seventy seven. Um, our guest here, Edgar Valles, uh, is of Goan uh, origin. Um, the Portuguese, uh, the also the former Portuguese uh, colony in um, uh, in India, uh, but was born born in Angola. Uh, he has written, uh, among other things, in '74 he wrote a book uh, called Africa: Colonialism and Socialism, and in '77 uh, um, uh, the book Africa. No, '77 uh, the book The Crisis of Apartheid. Um, you're a lawyer, and uh, you are currently uh, living in in Lisbon uh, or in in Portugal, and the uh, president of the House of Goa. Uh, so the the Goa. Can anyone please let these people in if they are like? Yeah. Okay. No. Uh, um. <coughs> you are also uh, the brother of. Sita Valles, uh, who was a leader figure in the movement that we will talk about uh, today. Uh, 
so please, I'd, I'd like to just ask you to, to tell us about the origins of the conflict, uh, that uh, um, the background of the, of the internal struggle in the MPLA and what actually happened on the 27th of uh, May. Good, uh, good afternoon. It is a pleasure to be to to be here, uh, and I thank the invitation of the organization. It is uh, a pleasure, but uh, also very painful because, uh, as you may understand, uh, it is not easy. You see, it is not easy. You see, this is my sister. She was uh, 25 years old. Uh, doctor in medicine. Uh, this is uh, her photo with her young child who was just uh, three months before the, uh, the young child was three months when the 27th of May happened. And uh, now this is uh, this child in uh, 1977 is now this, uh, it's not a young boy, now he's uh, 40 years old. Uh, he's called uh, João, but uh, his name is, everybody calls him Che, because when he was born, uh, the parents, my sister and uh, my brother-in-law, decided to call him Che in homage to Che Guevara. To che Guevara. Uh, you may uh, just, uh, and uh, my sister was murdered in July, August, nobody knows. Nobody knows the date, nobody knows where the body is. My brother was, uh, uh, he, he has any political involvement, although he supported, of course, the liberation movement. And on account of his surname, uh, he feared his life and on the following day of the 27th of May, he presented himself in the Ministry of Defense, Minister of Defense, to seek protection. Then he was put in jail. He was, there was no ac ac accusation at all concerning him because he was just an engineer. As I said, he had no political activity. And nine months later, he disappeared from jail. He was 27 years old. He was also murdered. Like him, about 30,000 people, Angolan people, were murdered without any trial. And this is something amazing, because in the previous year, in 1976, there was a big trial, international trial, in Angola concerning the mercenarios. Uh, I don't know the word in English, but uh, you see the mercenaries, they were caught some mercenaries, about 12 mercenaries. And the Angolan regime this decided to show international public opinion that Angola, although a young nation, was also a democracy. And they decided, the president decided to judge to, to have an international trial, trial where the defendants had all the rights of defense. 
as they were foreigners. Uh, they had American lawyers, British lawyers, uh, Spanish lawyers who came to Angola who defended them. But this happened concerning the mercenaries, concerning the Angolan people. The president didn't do the same. The president said, we, have we cannot waste time with trials. We cannot waste time with trials. And so there were uh, extrajudicial executions. And international amnesty calculates this number, 30,000 people. Although many people believe it is superior. And what is strange is that public opinion uh, is aware of what happened in Chile of Pinochet is aware of what happened in Argentina of, Vid of General Videla, but nobody is aware of what happened in Angola. And the people who are murdered in Angola, the number is much more than the Chilean, the people of Chile, of Chile and the people of Argentina. Why this happens? Because it was an internal struggle within the liberation movement. Angola got its independence on the 11th November 1975. And after independence, it was a young nation, after independence, two groups began fighting each other, but fighting politically, politically. There was one group which we may consider pro-Soviet Union, pro-Soviet Union. And to understand what happened in Angola, we have to remember how the world was 40 years ago. Now, Soviet Union doesn't exist. But at that time, many people believed that so Soviet Union was a wonderful country, and that uh, it was a country of happiness. The liberation movement, after independence, decided to adopt Marxist-Leninism as the official doctrine of the state. And the group, uh, leaded by Nito Alves, was a guerrilheiro, uh, a fighter. Uh, this group uh, was 100% pro-Soviet Union. There was other group, which was led by the president, Agostinho Neto, who believed in uh, uh, Yugoslavian way, you understand, not so pro-Soviet Union. And the group of uh, Nito Alves also considered the other group as beginning to be corrupted, corrupted. Corruption, now, now, now everybody knows that Angola leaders are very corrupt. But 40 years ago, it was just the beginning. And the group of Nito Alves 
began accusing the other group of uh, being corrupt. And uh, they tried to organize in the popular quarters to organize the militants to have a strong organization. The group led by the president began prose prosecuting the group of Nito Alves. And uh, some people of the group of Nito Alves, some people were put in jail, were put in jail. And what happened? Uh, to release these people who were put in jail, the group of Nito Alves decided to make a big, a massive demonstration in front of the presidential palace. It was not a coup d'etat. There is a book written by two hist 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 historians, Alvaro Mateus and Dalila Mateus, which proves there was not a, a coup d'etat. They tried to pressurize the president to release those who were in jail and also to change the, the policy. And the Russian embassy, as I told you, this was a group which was 100% pro-Soviet Union. The Russian embassy told them that if they did this massive demonstration, the Cubans would not interfere. What happened? On the 27th of May, many people went to the streets. But as I told you, it was not a coup d'etat. There was no strategic military points which were sized. And the president, Agostinho Neto, he phoned Fidel Castro and he said, there is a coup d'etat. They want to overthrow the regime. Fidel Castro hesitated, but then he decided to support Agostinho Neto. And the Cuban tanks went to the streets and they shot thousands of people who were demonstrating were in the streets, in front of the palace. This happened on the 27th of May. On the following days, till the 23rd, till the, till the 23rd of March of the following year, about 30,000 30, Angolans were murdered, as I told you. And the Western public opinion was not aware of this. Why? Because people said, politicians said, that this, this was a conflict between the left, between the left. So the problem was of the left. It was not an international problem. On the other hand, the people of the left said, oh, we cannot speak about this because if we speak about this, Angola, a young nation, will be 
in uh, people will not believe in in this young nation and so during all these years this big uh, crime has been in silence last week there was a letter written by the orphans by those who, who lost the parents on account of the uh, repression of government and this letter says to the president of the republic of angola his excellence president jose eduardo santos in angola the month of may 2017 marks the 40th anniversary of the beginning of a terrible process of political repression that culminated in the death of many thousands of angolans from it resulted a social rift that persists to this day as we live in a society that does not know the fate and whereabouts of thousands of young patriots who served and believed in the liberation movement and who from the 27th May of, of uh, 1977 onwards for a period that dragged on for about two years were swallowed by the terror machine commanded by the first president of Angola. And the letter finishes by asking the president to do the following measures, five measures. First, the elaboration of a list of the missing of the 27th of May. Second, the identification of the remains of the victims through DNA testing and their restitution to the families so that, the, so that they may give a dignified burial. Third, the issue of death certificates and their respective delivery to the families in conform conformity with the declaration of the political bureau of the MPLA dated 26th of May 2002. Four, the creation in Luanda of a memorial in, order, in honor of the victims. Fifth, the civil recognition of the parents of all the orphans in their national identity cards in conformity with the declaration cited above in point three. So this movement was created and uh, the victims, the, the children of the victims expect that Angola, Angolan government finally will break the silence and will recognize the crimes that were committed. Thank you so much. I'd like to, to bring directly in um, Maren Saber, who many of, you, many of you might know her as a journalist uh, and an Africa expert in general, but also Angola expert in particular, uh, and a historian, not least. Um, you uh, spent quite a few years in Angola during your childhood, uh, actually, and I, I want to ask you, uh, both as an historian and as a, as an, uh, a knower of Ang Angola, why is it that here in this room and in, in Norway in general, uh, 
we do know we, we do know quite we we know sort of as a as a uh, of course we know of Pinochet and his uh, and his uh, killings, but we do not know of uh, of the massacres or the internal um, fights in the Epele forty years ago. Um, what has what has uh, what has created this uh, lack of awareness and knowledge? Do you think? I think uh, one of the reasons why I'm here is actually that uh, we know so little. Uh, as a historian of the liberation movements uh, of Southern Africa in the 70s, it's astonishing how little sources we have that are written sources. We don't have archival stuff. We, we, we're sort of going around in the dark uh, concerning these uh, events. Um, I remember sort of writing my thesis and it, it concerned this period in Angola and came across what was mentioned as the Mutualga coup, uh, that something about sort of there having been some violent eruptions around the radio station in Luanda um, and it wasn't really mentioned in the literature. A lot of that literature was sort of, it was very partisan. It, it was written in a time of, of, of uh, when MPLA was the good guys and, and South Africa, of course, was the bad guys. And um, you sort of realize that there is something here that is not really uh, talked about, written about, uh, that we can't find in the sources. Uh, and it took for me, a couple of decades before I started hearing the stories, um, and I was a bit actually quite shocked uh, listening to some of those stories and realizing that it's such a big event that we couldn't find in sort of the memories or, or in the, the literature on the liberation movement at the time. Um, I think. One of the reasons why we've heard so little about it is, of course, that it, it was a time of war. Uh, it was a time of, of solidarity with the MPLA uh, under assault from, from the apartheid regime. Uh, you mentioned the, the trial the year before with the South African mercenaries. Um, it was a time, uh, even into the early 1980s, where, where solidarity with the, with the MPLA was part of the anti-apartheid struggle. How, how so, just uh, bri briefly, how was it part of the anti-apartheid struggle? Because the war in Angola was seen as, as, as the war of Southern Africa, as the war between South Africa and, and the neighboring state or the frontier state. Mm. Uh, and Angola was seen as, as the last frontier against that could stop sort of the white supremacist regime. Mm. Um, so, you have a, so you have an invasion into Angola from apartheid South Africa and among other things, the MPLA is sort of is supporting the ANC, as, as we all know, the ANC of South Africa. Yeah, the uh, ANC actually moved into to, to, to Angola in 1976 as well mm. uh, and established their camps mm. um, and, and had some s some of the same stories actually in uh, ha took place inside the ANC as inside the MPLA. There was factionalism, there was mutinies, there was... Uh, political different sort of disagreements and a lot of the ANC guys were thrown into the same prisons as the uh, um, uh, opposition in the MPLA. Uh, so we knew about that. Um, 
but 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 I think sort of the whole controversy controversy around this and, and the whole sort of idea that NPLA was on the right side of history and it sort of overshadowed and 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 kept its events in the dark for mm. a long time. Mm. So so I mean critically. Um, there's actually, uh, there are also today quite few uh, sources or books on this. Um, uh, for for a Norwegian audience, perhaps the uh, this is the like one of the mo most recent English uh, written book uh, books on on this event by Lara Pawson in the name of the people, um, which quotes uh, and speaks a, a lot about uh, of of Western historians. Uh, sort of framing this very much in, in a sort of MPLA-friendly light, calling it, so, so uh, Edgar, you were making a point out of this not being a coup d'etat mm -hmm. uh, attempt, whereas historians uh, uh, has been framing this as a coup d'etat. Uh, there has been sort of a lot of controversy around that. The numbers have been ranging from 2,000 to 80,000, 90,000, 80,000 uh, 80, would would mean, as, as, as Lara Pawson points out in his book, would mean that 1% of the Angolan population uh, was eradicated by, by these purges. Uh, so that's, an, that's a massive number if, if such a high estimate uh, uh, actually rings true. But like we, are like we were saying, I mean, um, and like this also book and several other books document, the accounts here are, are widely uh, diverging. How do we sort of, is there a possibility for, for tracing the truth here, uh, actually, do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm not really sure because I, I'm not really sure if the MPLA kept any records on this. Uh, I think, uh, like you said, uh, starting to, to, for instance, go around in Luanda, find the mass graves and, and dig them up would basically be your best shot, but it's not going to happen under this regime. Uh, but I, I think it has started to emerge uh, sort of that these stories in, in Laura Pawson's book, in, 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 in the book you are bringing here, um, there are tales that are emerging, there are, there are sort of efforts uh, been done uh, trying to establish the facts uh, and, and, and as you say the, the, the numbers vary between 2,000 dead and, and 100,000 dead and it's it's, 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 it's just mind-boggling as a historian to not have the sources uh, to not know um, but, but I think people need to start talking uh, and we need to, to basically get into the archives we have gotten into the archives in Havana, in Kremlin uh, that parts of this story has actually sort of emerged in, 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 in uh, while historians go through through archives of the Cubans in, in, in Havana. Uh, so, so, so there are sort of possibilities, but I think there's still quite a way to go. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, any, any interested ones to, to also yeah. come in? Yes, yes. Last uh, week, a journalist asked me, was it uh, a coup d'etat? And I gave my opinion, of course, it's my opinion. And I, s I said also this, 
I believe it was not a coup d'etat, but I also believe it should be a coup d'etat. Hmm. What does this mean? In Europe, you can call people to the streets. Nobody will kill them. If there is a massive demonstration here in Oslo against the government, people will not go to jail. People will not be killed. But in Africa, it is different. And the big mistake of the group of Nito Alves, where my sister was, was to call people to the streets, to call people in front of the presidential palace, instead of sizing the power through a military action. Y y you understand? Mm -hmm. And to have the to have the fame, 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 fame yeah. and to have not the profit, it's not worthwhile. Mm. If they were accused of a coup d'état, if they were murdered on account of this, it would be better if it were a coup d'état. You understand? But the point for me is this: even if it were a coup d'état. On the following day, on the 28th of May, with the intervention of Cuban troops, governor, Angolan government had the absolute control of the situation. There was nobody at the streets. If government had the absolute control of the situation, government should, should make trials and should give all the defense opportunities that they gave in the previous year to the mercenaries. Instead of doing this, they took advantage of the situation and they decided to eliminate the group and to eliminate the internal opposition. And many innocent people who had nothing to do with this, like my brother, but many others, were murdered. People who had nothing to do. If a neighbor wanted to get the house or to get the wife of the neighbor, if you were a militant of the MPLA, you would say that the other, the neighbor was uh, and it is there. And you would get the house and you would get the wife. You understand? And this situation is terrible. And uh, I understand that for you it's not easy. For you that supported the liberation movements mm. in dictatorship when Portugal was a dictatorship, it's not pleasant to listen to these things. And it is a shock. I think it is similar like uh, when the crimes of Stalin were denounced, many people in, in Europe of left parties, they were shocked because for them, Stalin and the Soviet Union was something wonderful. And, uh, and what is interesting is, is how, um, I mean, I would say the left has definitely sort of taken into account the the crimes the the heinous, the, the heinous uh, crimes of 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 Stalin, uh, 
sort of uh, these these events of of seventy seven uh, how and when did it really sort of or has it <laughs> when did it really sort of appear to us the, the African solidarity movement i mean so 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 uh, you and uh, uh, i mean martin would you would you like to say something about sort of norwegian involvement and solidarity uh, throughout the, the, the period uh, in the decades that followed 77 did anything really happen i don't i'm not sure how i, I don't think the norwegian council of africa I, no? I don't know i don't know if they did there was uh, they ever heard about it i know that some some uh, there will be people here in the audience that actually know more uh, mm. that knew about these events and, and also There will be people in this audience that that would know more about uh, yeah. what people knew and what they didn't knew and, uh, and know in the, in the 1980s. Uh, I was just a child; I didn't know anything. Um, but <laughs> I I think most people that lived in Luanda or had anything to do with Luanda, uh, not the solidarity movement back in Norway, but 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 at least Norwegians <coughs> in, in Luanda would have heard of this. Um, but, but as I said, it, was a th it wasn't a time of war. Mm. And, and sort of the main, um, the main culprit was in the south. Mm. Uh, was, was UNITA, the, 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 uh, the other UNITA part of was the civil war? was a terrible yeah. and brutal uh, force, and, 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 and everybody knew how the MPLA was working, but, but still, uh, the, the alternative was seen as much worse. So, so although one could say that, I mean, in a very sort of simplistic way, perhaps one could say that that the MPLA lost its innocence, uh, or uh, as sort of an open political organization, uh, which had sort of different wings with with you know more Stalinist, more Leninist uh, uh, sort of approaches, that really came to an end in '77. But but uh, that was to a certain extent sort of not an issue for for the Norwegian solidarity movement it appears because because of this ongoing civil civil war that 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 took place throughout this period right um i i yeah mm. I, I think actually we don't uh, i think we'll have to move on a bit but but um uh, it's I, I find it interesting how we um i mean if i were to answer on on behalf of my <laughs> own organization which i I'm not in the, in the really in the position to do because I was not the director of the Norwegian Council for Africa in the in the 80s. But but uh, I mean we uh, we are currently heavily criticizing the the Angolan government. But I cannot pinpoint when we turned, you know, towards the MPLA. Uh, uh, and that is sort of if if anyone wants to sort of help me out in finding out when we turn towards the MPLA. Uh, I'd uh, love to get that. We'll open the floor soon. But first, um, let me turn to you, Asak, and to the current affairs in Angola, because one of the aspects, that okay, so we're talking about the 40 years uh, uh, of taboo, uh, but uh, in order to understand why the 27th of May is still uh, a taboo, we also need to understand the current political uh, context in Angola. We're talking about 38 years, not 40, but 38 years of 
Dos Santos rule. Can you please help us understand what is the current, the, the Dos Santos regime in, in Angola? Yes, of course, and thank you for inviting me to speak here. Um, uh, just, just to say a couple of words about my background and my connection with Angola, I think that's, that's useful for the audience as well. I'm a researcher at the Christian Mikkelsen Institute in Bergen. Um, and for since 2002, for the last 15 years, I've been traveling back and forth to Angola, uh, spending about a couple of months a year in, in that country. Uh, I've been involved in um, a, a good number of research projects uh, on a variety of topics on economy and pol politics and, uh, and society. Um, so it's been enough to get a good good overview of the of the situation and 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 society in Angola. But um, I also have to say that regarding the twenty uh, seventh of May, it took me many years in Angola before I actually started to understand the significance of what had taken place in nineteen seventy seven. Although now it seems quite clear to me that this is absolutely absolutely crucial to understand Angolan post-independence history. Um, I I don't have any I've, I wasn't there at the time and I uh, only have a I can as you I can only see this from the distance of history but I do have a personal connection to what happened and that is because uh, my very good friend. Um, Juan Fandune, che. is uh, your nephew, nephew, and he's that that little baby on the picture that you saw. Um, so, and also um, I have other friends in the should I say the academic community in uh, Angola. Uh, some of them are abroad, and some of them are in Portugal now. Some of them are still in Angola, who um, were victims of torture during the 1970s and spent long times in prison. So of course, uh, it takes time to have people talk about this. As all traumatized uh, peoples, it, it's, it, it's not the first thing they talk about. It, it takes a long time. And it also, ha also has to be dealt with, an, uh, with a lot of care. So to the, que uh, the, quest the question mm. again, <laughs> bring it up to today. Yeah. Yes. Um, um, so, um, so excuse my quite abrupt switch of, of angle here or approach. Um, I think that uh, um, in order to see how things came uh, up until today, let's just start with stating that Angola is today in the middle or stands before a sort of a dual transition and at the same time, it's in its most dangerous, uh, should I say, um, crisis point for the last um, 15 years at least, or actually for the last 25 years since 1992 during the first uh, peace agreement. Um, there will be elections, general elections in August, which will bring an end to the 38 years old uh, regime of President José Eduardo dos Santos. He is not candidate this time. Uh, so 
a new political regime will have to be established, no matter who wins the elections. And the other transition is uh, of more of an economic and society character. As you all know, the oil in 2014, the oil prices uh, plummeted. This had enormous consequences for Angola, being an oil absolutely oil-dependent country. So let me just give you an image. Uh, Ten years ago, uh, Angola had world record levels of economic growth on the back of this huge uh, oil boom that also most of us in here in this room in eventually have benefited from quite a bit too. Um, it led to sprawling economic activities in uh, the city of Luanda, basically, uh, but also in some other provinces, and making many people look at, uh, at uh, Luanda as uh, the Singapore of Africa. It attracted foreign companies and consultants and workers in the hundreds of thousands. Uh, but, uh, and you could see this in shopping centers and in the, uh, Luanda got famous for being the most expensive city in the world and, uh, and there were, um, in order to get a small apartment in, uh, of a decent standard in, in Luanda, you'd have to pay uh, up to $20,000 a month for a single bedroom um, place. You know, absurd price levels um, and absurd levels of luxury that came along with it. But it was all, and this is very crucial, it was all built on the back of the oil boom. You, you have to think that in 2002, the or 2000, the price of uh, one barrel of oil was uh, about $10 at the bottom. Then, as Angola's oil production started to pick up throughout the 2000s, then the price levels of oil reached $100 per barrel for quite a big uh, part of that time. And this had enormous effects. But also, as the oil plummeted, uh, so did the economy, and a lot of the weaknesses in the economy uh, started to become quite apparent, that it was all completely built on oil, and also that all kinds of imbalances in the macroeconomy uh, were to reveal themselves. What did effects ha did uh, this plummet have? Well, Angola's um, uh, state budget, uh, which almost all economic activity uh, depends on, had to be cut by 50%. So it started meant started, uh, people didn't get paid for their work, uh, uh, companies didn't uh, get paid for the uh, for the their the contracts and so on. So now everything just stopped. Massive unemployment, cuts in subsidies of fuel and uh, food that have severely impoverished even more people. And the health and education systems is in complete tatters. Uh, so that preventable diseases uh, are again spreading rapidly for lack of medicines and uh, general care. Let me mention malaria, yellow fever, and tuberculosis is on rapid increase in the country. And this is already in a country who is suffering from one of the worst statistics of um, uh, mother and baby health. Um, it says it's one of the, the worst, um, what's it called, neonatal um, uh, death statistics, unfortunately. Um, just um, 
Hmm. Just a couple of things more. Um, so I'm going to give you an another image here. Last week, um, there was two huge scandals in Angola society. Firstly, uh, in Cannes, in France, the president's son, um, uh, one of the president's sons, uh, uh, I think he's a 19-year-old kid, mm. he bought a watch for $500,000. And that's in the middle of this situation. Then there was another scandal, which was revealed last week, that the president of the National Assembly, which uh, he has power, but National Assembly has basically no power, um, the president had ordered that um, they, the National Assembly should buy 250 brand new Lexus cars for the value of $78 million. And uh, then that in itself was a scandal. How can these guys who does nothing uh, want need cars for that value? $3 million per each uh, or $300,000 for each Lexus? That's all completely overpriced. Then it turned out that the, the, p the person who is going to sell these cars to the National Assembly and to the National Assembly president turns out to be the son of the National uh, Assembly's president. <laughs> and this is, quite <laughs> this is quite typical of uh, the situation. In this Angola. is last week. This is last week, but this happens over and over again. With we hear these stories from Angola of incredible nepotism and beyond belief corruption. And um, my pardon to the Angolans here in the audience, but there is no other way to, to state this. Um, so um, I have to. So there's a dual yeah. transition here that we are telling. Okay, so there's so a I'm there's gonna yeah. economic crisis. Yeah. Yeah. So let me just bring it uh, with um, uh, to up until today with a, a sort of a parable. If you look at the Santos regimes during the last couple of de decades, it resembles the storyline of so many great patrimonial but ultimately authoritarian leaders or autocrats. It starts out as an unquestioned leader who, uh, on the back of a successful political movement after he won the civil war, and then he has this enormous economic power. And at the top of his power, he gets a new constitution rewritten, which basically gives all the levers of powers in his personal hands. Hmm. Then uh, he was able to win the loyalty of all the sections of the elite, eliminating others while doling out enough, just enough uh, wealth to give people a, um, a real shot or a real hope that they also could take part in this wealth somewhere down the line. But at a certain point, that unprincipled greed and corruption of the elite became a serious problem. And uh, he created it, but then he started to, to blame it on them. Um, and the elite, they competed to win the favor of the ruler, overdoing themselves in trying to uh, be nice to the ruler and hailing his clairvoyant leadership and, and all these kinds of things. Um, just think on the, the last party congress in aug last August. It looked like a North Korea display of dedication to uh, Kim Jong-un. It's true. Uh, everywhere wore the same kind of t-shirts. And they had, um, instead of clapping their hands when uh, the, the leader said something, they had this uh, plastic thing that they used, which it makes more sound than clapping hands. <laughs> hmm. uh, um, but. Uh, no, 
knowing that the people uh, were not really truly dedicated to him, the ruler become ever more distrustful, isolated, relying upon ever smaller groups of advisors, until by the end, uh, they were only a few people left and they were his own family. In the end, even his own family members started to hate each other and the ruler feared that his closest advisors would betray him. And this is really where we are today. He knows he has to leave power. Um, it's also a part of the story here that he's very, very ill, sick. He has been disappearing from the limelight now the last three weeks. Um, he, he probably went to Barcelona for medical treatment. Uh, we don't know where he is now, whether he's in Luanda or he's in Barcelona. Bar Bar he's in Luanda? Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, what will happen now? This is the big uh, crisis, an economic crisis at the same time all this immense power uh, of the presidency has to be handed over to someone else and it's not going to be any of his children although his children is Isabel dos Santos who I'm sure every one of you have heard about um, who is one of the richest women in Africa but also the head of the national oil company she runs the banks uh, or a majority owner in most of the banks the biggest telephone company she has interests in diamonds and lots of other industries and businesses in the country. She runs the economy. Then you're gonna have another guy who is not from her family, probably Juan Lorenzen, um, who is from the party, gonna take over the political power. This spells conflict. We don't know how it's going to play out. Mm. So, so we're in the midst of uh, an economic crisis, a political transition, uh, in this landscape, um, I mean, we don't know what will happen. We do know that uh, in a sense, in, in the same way as, as, uh, uh, as um, 40 years ago, there is widespread discontent with the political leadership but uh, how does it really sort of um, play out? Do we see traces of of the 27th de Mayo in the political uh, context of today? And how how do we see it? I mean, so uh, so let me just sort of mention some some sort of key characteristics of of the 27th de Mayo of the of the Nito Alves um, uh, sort of movement. So then. Nito Alves was originally, at least, up until a couple of weeks before Vichyseptu de Mayo, the 27th of May, uh, he was a part of the of the MPLA, uh, of the party leadership. He had widespread support in the in especially in Zambisanga, a, 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 a part of of Luanda. Um, he also had the support of of a, an arm of the uh, a battalion within the. Uh, the military that did not intervene. Some mm -hmm. said, you know, uh, so th that also actually supported the the demonstrations on the 27th of May, um, and then we had sort of a, a repression of his of his uh, sort of populist uh, movement. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I mean, th there is there is this consent in Angola today, but but is there anything that resembles it apart from uh, although? 
perhaps um, uh, importantly or in a very symbolic way one of the key activists in 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 uh, in the Angolan sort of opposition today or in the among the, the radical demonstrators today in Angola um, one of one of them is called or has taken the name Nitwalvish uh, and sort of henceforth sort of uh, takes upon itself the heritage of 40 years ago. Do you, do you see traces today? No. no uh, well, there is a big difference. Yeah. 40 years ago, it was a split within the liberation movement. This means there were two groups. Yeah. Nowadays, there are especially young people, young people who want more freedom to, uh, to Angola. So they have made demonstrations, anger strike, uh, but they are not members of the liberation of the MPLEA. They are not members. They want freedom and democracy. And the, the Ang Angolan government, to suppress their uh, demonstrations, they tell them, be care, be care, because a second 27th of May may happen. Uh, you understand? Mm. So the 27th of May is still erected as something that uh, may happen again concerning repression. Mm. Mm. So, for instance, on the 27th of May each year, there is an attempt to, to gather uh, for demonstration, but each time in Luanda, uh, violence breaks out or, or, or violent forces stop people from gathering in the first place and, and sort of keeps a lid on any kind of, of demonstration in, Lu in Luanda. I mean, would you like to also sort of uh, fill out yeah. on this? Wha well what <coughs> traces do you mentioned in the beginning that it's crucial to understand the 27th of May uh, of, of 77 yeah. in order to understand Angola today? Yeah. So um most uh, we have all heard about the the civil war the the terrible civil war between um MPLA and the UNITA party and this was so uh, mixed first mixed up with the uh, the cold war situation and they were armed by the respective sides now um it's also part of that story uh, to understand UNITA is that UNITA's leadership and UNITA's basic following comes from a very different, um, uh, what should I say, sociological and ethnic background uh, than the MPLA. The MPLA was always, for first and foremost, a Luanda-based uh, um, Luanda group uh, within the population there which had uh, always spoken Portuguese and so on and a population that uh, had a received education in Portugal and, and other places. And they were influenced by uh, leftist ideas which were common at the time in Europe and, and elsewhere. Whereas um, UNITA mobilized on a much more, this is complicated and difficult to speak of with Angolans, but to make it very simple, they, they mobilized uh, with uh, basically in, a ver in the largest ethnic, ethnic group uh, towards the south. So it has a had a very different social uh, backing. In a way, today, 
the MPLA prefers UNITA as an, as an opposition because it knows UNITA ver very well and it understands the limits of UNITA and that is exactly to break out beyond that ethnic basis which it has in the, in the South. You can see it in the election results also. Uh, UNITA does much better in, in the South and, and so on. Now, what, does, what is, I think, is the worst fear of the MPLA leadership? And this brings me back to the 27th. Now, what happened then was not only that Nito Alves and the group had uh, strong arguments and uh, against the corruption of the local elite and that they had arms, but also that they had the political tools to reach out to the masses in the suburbs of Luanda where th you have then hundreds of thousands and now millions of very poor people who are very angry with the situation in the country. And that enormous force that can sort of uh, uh, completely swamp the center of, um, of, of Luanda and where the, the elites lived, if they were to be mobilized, that I think is the worst fear. And that's also where what I think explains why the last or the two years ago the political elite became s so decided upon stopping every spark of demonstration and this group of youngsters, they called themselves revolutionaries, um, before they could make that organization mm, and political connection to the musekesho, the, the, the masses in the suburbs. I don't know if you agree with this kind of interpretation. That's quite an interesting, uh, I was in Luanda at the time, and, and, and you could sort of, uh, you feel a sort of a revival of the, what they call the cultural fair, um, when, when these arrests happened in, in June uh, 2015. Uh, it was just very small, it was a book club, they, they called themselves a book club, they, they were just meeting up, and uh, they might do something on the street, uh, but immediately, uh, closed down and, and, and I remember I had interviews that day in Luanda everything was cancelled people just got very scared very quickly uh, and it also says a little bit about the sort of the extent of, of the control and, and how jumpy the regime is about these youngsters um, that people in their 20s reading old revolutionary classics basically mm. uh, hmm. so uh, just an interesting detail about this this young group of youngsters. Um, uh, they had something that uh, Unita never had, and that's rap music. Because these guys were able to uh, create really good rap music that was really popular, and in them they inserted lyrics that were clearly oppositional and uh, provocative, and even tried to mobilize people to to uh, uh, revolt against the, the government. Mm. And an interesting point attaches attached to, 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 to that is that, uh, okay, so, so you have currently sort of rap musicians in Angola that, that really sort of uh, contribute to a, a critical mobilization or, or, or form the basis for critical mobilization. And in 77, uh, one of the things that uh, th th there are some accounts of, uh, for example, in 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 this book uh, by Lara Paulson, where uh, 
a person in Luanda, he wakes up on the 27th of May uh, and listens to the radio. And the radio, meanwhile, has been taken over by by the Nitinstas, by the Nito Alves, uh, by Nito Alves sympathizers, and they are playing music by uh, singers that were related to the to the movement, to the Nito Alves movement, and he can tell right away that something has happened. Some something is very very different from from how it could be because. Now this music is on the radio, so the 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 the, the role of music, the role of culture, uh, as a as a means of mobilization, uh, is very interesting, and there is a there is a very interesting um, similarity here. Now I'd li I'd like to open the floor if anyone wants uh, has questions or uh, or points of view on uh, on this questions for the panel uh, and so on. Uh, just uh, just raise your hand. Um, meanwhile, uh, well, 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 people are, are, are thinking uh, about posting questions. I'll I'll bring into this mix uh, an interesting fact that I think perhaps most of us are, are aware of, and that is the fact that uh, Angola is actually the most important destination for Norwegian investments throughout the entire African continent. Uh, Primarily in in oil, in petroleum. Uh, Norway ha also has a has a so has a large commercial presence and also a diplomatic presence in Angola. Uh, so I'm asking sort of pr primarily the perhaps the Norwegians here who know the, the Norwegian context. What do you think is uh, is uh, what kinds of obligations do you think that sort of follow from our, our commercial and diplomatic pre uh, presence in Angola? Uh, what should we do in, for instance, in relation to to these petitions for a uh, sort of some sort of truth and reconciliation uh, uh, sort of move uh, in Angola regarding the Vitisete de Mayo of of seventy seven? What should be done? Uh, what kinds of of pressure? What was the role of Norway uh, as we approach this double transition? A transition from the Santos regime into something that we don't know, and in the midst of an economic crisis, which we don't know where it will lead. It's a long question, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Ashtak, would you like to? Sort of but I thought you'd say before. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, actually yes, but uh, I haven't seen any hands yet, so just just okay, yeah. You can please, if you had to, you had need to speak in the microphone because we are uh, having this for the podcasts. Yeah. Thank you very much. I will just mention something because we are talking about. Uh, yes, uh, my name is Alan Alex Motokodila. Uh, I'm originally from Congo, but I have my my family in Angola, Angola tribe, part Angola of Congo. Um, my my I, I I I would like just mention something. We are talking of 18 of May. We are talking about war with uh, UNITA. We are talking about uh, South Africa, who was in Angola, but it's something we didn't mention there, which was about uh, FNLA, because between 75 to 18, uh, the war it was between MPLA and FNLA. FNLA have uh, get help from US and France, 
uh, you are talking about a lot of people who have died uh, that war. Uh, I would like that we have these people on for our mind because it was a lot of people. We are talking about millions of people for this war. And uh, uh, something else, I think uh, when you are talking about business, I was sitting on flight, uh, it was for one month ago. I was on my way to Luanda and Kinshasa. Uh, I think on in the flight I met a lot of Norwegian people inside. But now we are talking about business because Norway now is taking over business. It's nothing to do just uh, Angola, it's correct system. You can't, you can't just think about that. It's very corrupt. And uh, we have to think about power in Angola. They have military, they control all the system. Even though we are talking just uh, Eduardo Santos, supposed uh, not to be elected, but nobody knows because he's still secretary of party. And now it's uh, one of uh, his right hand who is supposed to take over. But today he's minister of defense. That means he has control over military. Mm -hmm. That is the point. Mm -hmm. Just I don't think just that tra uh, transition is supposed to be easy because I know Angola, I know the people in Angola. I know a little bit uh, philosophy of Mpela. Um, I, I don't think just it's supposed to go easy. They, they, they don't really like the left power like that. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. I didn't, didn't yes, please. My name is Carmen Pereira, and I was in Luanda on 27 and 28 of my, the day of the coup d'etat. I'm one of the survivors. And um, if you are looking for the bodies, they must be there where I ran from, Campo da Revolucao, on the back, because I managed to escape. And I, did, I didn't belong either to the MITIS or to the MPLA. I came from my job. I was working, I had an, a night work at the Hospital Maria Pia. And uh, <laughs> being in the streets in one of the days, of course, I was torturated and sent to be killed. <coughs> I ran away. I'm a, I'm a very good runner. I was at that time. Uh, but what I want to see is that the situation in Angola is, is and was, especially at that time, very complicated. So don't simplify and just start saying that it was the mutual destruction and the MPLA and the Togo. Uh, I'm from the south of Angola. Lutas uh, uh, movement was a tribal movement. Of course, I should be one of the Lutas people. I'm not a, a, a person of the Lutas people and nobody's people. I was there to work and to do something. And what I want to say is that uh, I hope really that the, 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 the rest of these people will be fine and give them a correct burial. But uh, 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 
Ingvalds prakšana veik pīrdēsojā prakšana. Kent Heath Besslejais Harry. Some of them I come from Africa had to be identified only by the priest. So uh, wars are terrible things. They do things that we, we, do, we don't live in this world. So I'm not going to defend one of the other and to discuss. I knew your sister, Sikhanas. I knew her. And I'm very sorry for her. But I, I'm a, lit a little bit careful because I, I'm sitting here. I'm a survivor. I was there. I lived it. I was working. when you start criticizing or writing about people. The truth is the best, but it's very difficult sometimes to find it. My other question, uh, uh, this is not just a comment, but I have a question. What happened to Mr. Marcolino Moko? You were <laughs> supposed to be here to hear about him and the situation of the government in the new Angola. That I hope there will be not more wars on the 17th of May or 27th of May because we have had enough of it and I hope that there are some clever intelligent people around there and I know I know them I'm there every second year I met you last time I was one of the times I was there that we solve this problem without killing people too much killing people You see, uh, I also think that uh, it is up to the those who analyze his history, his people of history, to write about the matter. But the group of Nitwald was accused of killing seven people. Seven people were seven people who were caught in car in an ambulance in an ambulance and President Agustin Neto because an ambulance was found with seven people which were uh, leaders of of the liberation movement uh, and which were on the side of the president and this was the excuse to murder 30,000 people. And uh, what happened? Uh, there was a fellow called, this is written in a book, a fellow called João Cantada, which was a member of DISA. DISA is the political policy of the regime. Who now lives in Spain. He lives in Spain. And he was interviewed by a uh, paper and he, he assured that uh, there were some people of the police politic these uh, which were uh, see which were uh, uh, infiltrated the police the these uh, police politic infiltrated some people in the group of Nito Alves and this 
these people were the material authors of the death of the seven people which were found. Thank you. I'm not entirely sure that we will be able to sort of to to land on um, what we might call a sufficient a sufficiently accurate historic account of what happened on the 27th of May um, and in the in the in the months that that followed um, today also sort of on on the actions of, of both the the, the Nico Alves group as well as as the government and but I, I'd like to 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 first sort of uh, thank both of the of the questionnaires for, for bringing out some 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 quite uh, sort of important uh, um, sort of aspects and um, uh, so sort of nuances to this very very simplified picture that we have been able <laughs> to 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 portray uh, in such a short time. I think we we all uh, acknowledge that that uh, the history of Angola is is much more complicated than what we have been able to. Uh, to portray through this one and a half hour up until now, um, but I uh, and I thank you uh, all uh, so much. Uh, thank you both for 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 putting those uh, those uh, comments. I just briefly on on Martin Moko. Unfortunately, he missed his plane on his way here, and that's a very unfortunate and very practical uh, reason for for him not being here. Uh, yeah. So this one was an, uh, another question. So two questions. So. Would you please uh, come forward because we need the the, the Thank you. <coughs> hey everybody, my name is uh, Jose Barros Olsen. Uh, strange name for Angolan, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have uh, a question for the the panel. Uh, so um, I was born in Angola in 1990, but I grew up in Norway. Um, my mother uh, married my father, uh, that is uh, a Norwegian um, man. Well, he worked in Angola from 92 to uh, 99. And I always call him dad because I knew him since I was two years old, basically. So that's my dad. Uh, so this is really interesting for me because uh, clearly um, I don't know much of uh, my own history. Uh, and I was watching an Angolan documentary, actually three of them, uh, last Sunday. Uh, I, di I didn't even know before on Monday when I met my friend Nelson that this was about to happen. So uh, I have this kind of uh, understanding that uh, based on history, a lot of African countries have struggled for many years. We're talking about the Angolan struggle. and. Many African countries have come out of the struggle, right? And based on history, uh, many of the countries have come out of the struggle because of innovation and, of course, good leadership because it starts somewhere and leadership is often the start of something really good. So in a country where you actually can't talk about Voldemort, <laughs> because I've been traveling back and forth from uh, Angola to Norway. Um, I was there for two years ago. That was the last time. So in a country where you can't speak about uh, the, the president 
and about everything's wrong going on in the country and uh, you don't have the same support uh, from different kind of system that is not uh, government based uh, because you, some of you mentioned uh, uh, about the youth in Angola and doing that is called some revolutionary, the revolu uh, revolutionaries. I don't know, I don't remember, okay. Uh, but I mean, what we you guys that are experts, you know, more, <laughs> way more than me <laughs> about Angolan history and what have gone uh, through in Angola, what would you recommend? Uh, the youth in Angola to do because we see that innovations often actually is a key for countries like that to move on and as I said great leadership right but we speaking of a country that the leadership is not there in every country that have strived it is innovation even Angola we can see that because it's a floating of money there uh, so what would you recommend me as a 27-year-old man that have ambition to go back to Angola and do something good for my country to do. Thank you. My name is Fred Rasmussen. Um, I've been in Angola in two periods, in the 1990s with a private company, and then um, uh, 2009 to 11 as a diplomat. It's been very enlightening to listen to you all, and especially your last words of how can uh, Angola move forward, and hopefully without more bloodshed. Mm -hmm. So uh, my question is, and yeah, but first a comment about the knowledge about you referred to um, Stalin communism. I think something happened after 1968 when we had the French new philosophers, Levy and others, and they wrote about the archipelago and, and how, how uh, communism led to, 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 uh, to what it did, and Stalin as a criminal from Georgia, etc. So we need more information and knowledge about Angola and other countries and liberation. But is there a window of opportunity? It's a simple question in Angola. And Aslak, you spoke about uh, the elections, uh, the, the Dos Santos family, are they losing their grip or, or intentionally? The, the president steps down, but the family are um, controlling finances, are the movements. Is there something going on within MPLA when I was there a few years, they said, yes, there is. Uh, compared with South Africa and ANC fractions, is there so that uh, a positive development may take place over the next uh, couple of decades and without uh, bloodshed and violence again? And maybe some um, uh, the, 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 the for human rights. Uh, Norway, we are supporting quite a lot, uh, civil society, and their space is quite limited. Is there something going on that could see positive uh, signs? Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I think we'll uh, we're running out of time, so we will just I will just let the panelists answers uh, answer to the questions that have been posed and and give their last uh, last sort of thoughts on uh, on uh, 
today's topic. Uh, I think we'll, if it's okay with you, you got some quite some a couple of concrete questions, so you can start, Aslak. One of the questions actually came from Johan, which was, "What should Norway do?" Um, so that's what could that's uh, that's two questions. What could ordinary Norwegians do, um, who are concerned uh, about this? And I think that would be to support that um, uh, the the better of the the victims, demanding uh, with these five uh, these five demands that you you listed, okay. and I think they are evidently reasonable demands. I don't think there should be anything uh, really divisive about these demands. I think they are carefully crafted in order to be as little divisive as possible, but create uh, some sense of, of a, a, um, a constructive way forward. And in that spirit, I think that also the Norwegian authorities, uh, we're here talking about the diplomatic offices, could consider uh, supporting this uh, petition to the president about justice. Uh, so to the question about uh, what, uh, what recommendations uh, for the youth, um, I would could speak a long time about this, but in order to mention something short, I mean, there is a desperate need for educated people in uh, Angola. So um, Angolans of all kinds get as much education as possible, bring it back to Angola and put it to employment for the good of the country. Cannot say anything more than that. But also um, use this education to create constructive debate. Because one thing that I've noticed in, in, in Angola, and that is due to the, the violent political history and the climate of fear and all of it, there's very little constructive political debate going on. Uh, constructive debate, critical debate, not necessarily political, but debate at all. For instance, there is no, I've almost no recollection of ever having sit in a panel like this with uh, youth politicians from UNITA, Casa CE, and the MPLA. They don't debate. They scream to each other and, and insult each other. But there is no constructive debate. So I mean, what you could do, if, I mean, speaking to Angolans abroad and wanting to go back and so on, try to bring that spirit of constructive debate, or rather what's left of it in Europe, uh, <laughs> and bring it back to, to, to Angola. Um, and then, of course, vote. For heaven's sake, vote and use the elections as an opportunity to influence politics in a constructive way. I don't say that elections will necessarily solve everything, and Angola, unfortunately, has a terrible history with elections. I'm thinking about what happened in 1992, which is a very different story. We haven't even touched on that today. But I think that in the current climate, there demand having fair elections that is a constructive uh, way forward. Um, uh, to Fred's question, is there a window of opportunity now? Um, I, I, on purpose, I said that I think now Angola stands before a very delicate situation, a very dangerous uh, situation. 
uh, with this dual political and economic crisis. It's also a social crisis, by the way. Um, and I think, uh, I, I, I cannot really think of that as a window of opportunity. Um, but in, of course, uh, that doesn't mean everything is bleak and depressive and, and terrible. Not, I'm just saying that it's, it's in a very delicate and difficult situation. So of course, if you look for signs of um, engaged youth and people who are wanting to do constructive debate, you'll find it. Yes, there are. There are civil society movements and so on. And, and, and we're not, I'm not saying we're standing before the abyss, but it's a difficult and dangerous situation. Yeah, <laughs> I was quite quite tiny at that time. Um, and <laughs> on the issue of, of what uh, young people from Angola can do today, I, I'll just have to say the same thing as, as Aslak, uh, is educate. Educate yourself and start a discussion. Uh, and as a historian, I would, of course, say study your own history uh, and study the, the, the history of, of both the recent history and also the, the, the sort of um, sort of be prepared for good political debate. Um, that's basically what I have. I also agree that uh, education is very is very important because uh, with education people uh, understand also the past and. Understanding the past helps to build uh, the future. And of course, uh, uh, concerning the other question, uh, this letter of the orphans, uh, you realize they don't ask revenge. There is no word of revenge. They only want the country, and, and in this case, the president, uh, to look at what has been done and to recognize the crimes and to give names in the birth certificates, to build a memorial. This is the minimum of the minimums. There is no demand of economic compensation. There is, uh, this is the minimum. And I think you may help, you Norwich people, you may help uh, supporting this demand. Bravement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I just have a small anecdote, which yeah. I think is fitting for yeah. uh, yeah. to sum yeah. it up. I have a I have a good uh, friend there, also an, an academic, who spent two years in prison, uh, and he was tortured um, badly mm. uh, during the seventies. And then, uh, what happened to your torturers? I mean, you live here, and uh, he said, "No, one of these days, I I saw." one of them, he was passing right by me on the street. And I said, I was, wow, I mean, didn't you, what did you do? W didn't you feel like uh, walking up and punching him or, you know, whatever? I mean, get out your aggression about what happened. I mean, you get some revenge or payback. And, and he shook his head. Nah, that's the past, he said. Quero que o país fique bem. 
I just mm. want the, the country to, to be better. That's what I want. Mm. I uh, thank you, the, the panelists, uh, for coming. I, I also thank the audience. I think we're, um, uh, we've done our, our little uh, contribution to sort of enlightening um, and speaking about these incidents uh, that took place for 40 years ago and understanding better how it forms um, Angola. And perhaps it is, uh, <laughs> uh, we do not necessarily know the, the way forward. I mean, I, 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 I can say something on, on sort of a from our perspective in the Norwegian Castles for Africa, we, uh, we won't, we won't uh, change for the better in Angola, but unless like uh, unlike 50 years ago or 40 years ago um, we no longer know which actor to uh, that is right you know we don't know no longer claim to to have the solution uh, in terms of which party which political uh, actor will will make uh, uh, Angola better uh, uh, in a peaceful uh, peaceful way uh, the only thing that I can encourage uh, you to do actually as an audience is to to join the, the Norwegian Council for Africa and to join actually our our uh, Angola group. Uh, we have a group of volunteers who, who want to sort of continue uh, emphasizing social and economic um, political uh, aspects of, of Angola, an immensely important country to uh, to Norway on the African continent, uh, and to find avenues towards positive change and any kind of contribution that Norwegian actors, either the government or, or corporations can do towards, uh, towards that end. So I think with, uh, with that, I'd like to, uh, to thank this African law and thank you all for coming.